Again, he gathers with the body of believers. The Bible says he spent many days there with the disciples in Damascus, which is another interesting thing. Those who were once his, he saw as his enemy were now his family. That's a beautiful picture of God's forgiveness, a beautiful picture of God's grace. He saw those Damascus believers, it, his heart, his passion was that they were the enemy and he was to destroy them. And God changed his life and now he loved them and was willing to even die for them. He, at one point in time, we would see that Paul would say, I myself would even be accursed that if, 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 if Israel would be saved. Well, that's, a, that's amazing transformation in love uh, by the grace of God. But uh, again, we'll see more of that in just a minute. So I want to, if you have your Bibles in Acts chapter 9, I want to pray and we'll, we'll start off in verse 20. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for all that you've done. Lord, we, we cannot thank you enough. Lord, I, I never want to be short of gratitude uh, for what you have blessed us with. Lord, uh, you are so good to us um, and, and we don't want to be so superficial to say that we're thankful only for being born in this country and for being uh, free citizens in, in a land that's so unique and so blessed. Uh, Lord, but we, we understand our greatest blessings uh, come from you and they're spiritual. Uh, but we, we also don't want to uh, miss the opportunity to be um, humbly thankful and, and grateful for, for the temporal blessings, for this nation, for our, our citizenship here, Lord, in, in this temporal land. Um, Lord, help us to redeem our, our opportunities. Help us to redeem the time we have as your people, uh, because we do know that our, our, our true citizenship, our eternal citizenship, is in heaven with you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would move this morning. If there's somebody here that's lost, they're in need of salvation, Lord, I pray that you would move in their life, that conviction would come, repentance would happen, and they would surrender their all to you. Lord, for those of us who've already done that, challenge our hearts, God. Remind us of things that we need to be reminded of. Help us to repent. Help us to change if we need to. Help us not to be filled with pride or arrogance, but be full of uh, humility. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in all of this. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 9. Again, we're going to pick up in verse 20. Immediately, the Bible says, that this is talking about Saul, he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Uh, again, the entire mission that Paul was on was motivated by this, that Jesus was not the Son of God, that Jesus was not the Messiah, Jesus was not the chosen one. The, the mission that he was on before Christ was I want to destroy everybody who's saying this, this false doctrine that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the King of the Jews. I want to destroy that. And now, his mission has completely done a 180, completely opposite direction. And now, his passion, his mission is to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the only Savior of the world. He is the only hope for mankind. The Bible says this in John chapter 1, that he was in the world, this is talking about Jesus, and the world was made through him or by him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. A few verses down in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We saw the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full 
of grace and truth. We've seen Saul of Tarsus, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the, the, the Jew through and through. We've seen him throughout this study, the, 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 the most religious elite, the most strict sect of that religious elite. We saw him reject Jesus as Messiah, as God, as Lord, as Savior. We've seen him say so much so in his rejection that he wanted to destroy the followers of Christ until the Damascus Road. Until the Damascus Road. And while he was the, of the strictest sect of his religion, while he was on a mission for his religion, while he was passionate about what he was doing in his religion, the Damascus Road changed his life for the rest of his life. And we see this persecutor of the church, this despiser of Christ, this murderer of Christians transform a life motivated by religion to a life driven by relationship. And that is a, a beautiful and, and miraculous thing, but that is what true salvation is. And this morning, a, a point of reminder, uh, a point of emphasis, a, a clear point in Scripture is this, point number one, salvation or Christianity isn't religion. It's a relationship. And, and again, remember, Saul, before he met Christ, or before Christ encountered him on the Damascus Road, Saul, what, you would look at his life, and, and, and if we put it in Christian terms today, we would say Saul was the most faithful church member they had. He, he, he was most passionate. He was involved in, 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 in making sure that the mission and the vision of the church got off without a hitch. He was, he, he was on fire, but he was just off target. He, he, he was doing it for what he thought was God, but he had missed, as we saw in John chapter 1, he had missed God coming in the flesh, the Messiah that was promised from generations to save man from himself, from his sins. And Paul missed it too until the Damascus Road. In his life driven by, his life being motivated and his mission of, of being a, a great religionist, crossing every T, dotting every I, making sure that, that he was who he was supposed to be according to man, it changed from that to walking with his Savior and with his Lord. Going from, from doing it out of duty and responsibility to doing it in grace and love. What a, what a difference that makes. And I want to challenge you in this as well. If you're doing anything as a Christian because it's what you're supposed to do, you will stop and you will burn out at some point in time. It, well, we're supposed to do this or the pastor's asked to do this. Look, that's a wrong... I'm not saying that you shouldn't follow the leadership that, that God has ordained. Don't take that from that because that's very clear in Scripture as well. As long as that, that leadership is biblical, you should follow it. The Bible says that. But you shouldn't do it because of that only. You should do it because you have a relationship 
and you're motivated and driven by your relationship that you have with your Savior, with your God. And so when the pastor or with a, with a church leader comes along and says, hey, this is what God wants us to do, because you have this intimate walk with the Lord, you say, yes, I want to do that. I want to honor you, God. I want to live for you, God. I'm driven by my love. I'm driven by the grace that you poured out in my life, the mercy. I want to honor you. I want to live for you. I'm a living sacrifice laid down for you. But that only comes from relationship. That, that's exactly what we talk about when we talk about our marriages, what we talk about when we talk about our kids. What do we talk about? How do we talk like in, in those terms? Well, I would do anything. I would, I would, I would lay down my life for my kids. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily die for everybody, but I'd die for my spouse. I'd die for my kids. That, that's relationship. That's love. That's being motivated by that, and, and that's sometimes put on the line. But we don't operate as Christians because that's what Christians are supposed to do. Being a Christian, being saved, it's walking with the God of creation who loved you so much, loved us so much, in spite of our sin, even in our sin, to put on flesh and to die in that fleshly body for sins that we all committed, every single one of us, though he committed none. And it's loving him and living for him because his love in us now motivates us to do, for, do so. That's how it works. And if, again, as I said in, in the beginning, if, if, you're, if you're here because you're supposed to or you're struggling with being here, I want to challenge your walking in the Spirit. I want to challenge your walking in relationship. I want to challenge whether you're in the flesh or in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Or walking in the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, we've, we've talked about that a couple times in this, in this study, and it's a very clear thing that if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And well, the, we know that the lust of the flesh is such a strong pull that wh whether it's want to do what we want to do, I just want to be lazy today, I just want to do what I want to do, if it's, it, it's even sin, or if it's covetousness, or idolatry, or whatever the case may be, those things try to pull us away from walking in the Spirit, which means, or, or is evidenced by, the fruit of the Spirit, obedience, and assembly. I've recently shared that Scripture at the night of worship is so beautiful in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ, Paul says, controls us. As I said a while ago, when we have the Spirit of God inside of us, it's the love of God motivating us in the relationship with Him to live for Him and to, and to be those living sacrifices for Him. Paul himself, who, who is this Saul we're studying in Scripture, writes to the, the, the Corinthian believers, and he says it's the love of Christ that controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. Here's the reason why. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I, I, that's a beautiful scripture. That that is what it looks like once we get saved. That because his love, his spirit invades us, the love of God with the spirit of God invading us, it controls us. And we realize in this relationship that because he's done these things for us and forgive us of all of our debt, 
that, man, we, we no longer live for us anymore. We live for him who died and was raised. John chapter 14, if you love me, Jesus told his followers, then you will keep my commandments. It's not a have-to thing. It's, well, that's what Christians are supposed to know. Look at the root again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the result. If you have a love for Christ, then the commandments of Christ are not burdensome. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Again, we saw, we're seeing somebody who went from all religion, following the rules of the strictest sect of the Pharisees, to go be a completely transformed and being motivated by the love of the one he was persecuting. And Jesus revealed again to his followers before all this happened in our study, my love and your love for me will motivate you to obey me. It won't be a burden. He said, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. And believer, here's how you know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. That, that is how we know that we have the Spirit of God because His Spirit it bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, Paul would write to the Romans. We, we know that we have the Spirit of God because we have that extraordinary love that motivates us to, and, and gives us the desire to obey the commands of Christ. Again, I, I, if I'm in the Spirit, if you're in the Spirit, there's nothing that we have to do for Christ. And we get to do something that we couldn't do without his help, without the spirit dwelling in us. We get to obey him and make choices in the liberty that he's given us to walk in fellowship with him. We couldn't do that before we were saved. But now in the liberty of Christ, we can please him. He goes on to say in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Again, so love produces the, 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 the obedience, and obedience is the evidence of the love. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And look at these words, and I will manifest myself to him. He said, man, I'm just struggling my walk. I just don't feel close to, to the Lord. I, I don't feel like I'm seeing his hand working in my life. I feel dry, I feel distant, I feel disconnected, I feel disillusioned, I feel disenchanted, all disenfranchised, all the diswords. I feel all those things as a Christian. I want to challenge you this morning to press into the relationship and stop trying to be religious. The obedience follows the love. The passion follows the love. You, you have this, this man who was absolutely against the church, now transformed and doing everything he can. And, and we will see being persecuted, being stoned, being imprisoned at the point of death on many occasions to see the church built, to see Jesus' name published throughout all the world. Amazing love. Amazing love. Judas, not a scare, said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not the world? How is that going to work? Jesus answered, if any man loves me, he will keep my word. 
and my Father will love him, and we'll come into him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. That's just the way it works. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Notice that Saul didn't go off and do what Saul said that the Spirit led him to do. Well, I just feel like the Spirit's leading me to do this. I feel like the Lord's leading me to do this separate from what Jesus set up, namely the church, the fellowship, the assembly of believers. Saul didn't do that. He immediately went, the Bible says, to church, the gathering of the believers. Now, we understand that this time, we've already talked about this, there was only one uh, established church with pastoral elder leadership, and that was in Jerusalem. The church has been scattered, though, and there have been people m- making disciples all over the land. This is happening now with Saul, and this is about to begin the, the planting, church planting, mission work of the first church. And churches will eventually be established through this. But he, he goes to church. Why? Why did he go to church? To to get together with his friends? (laughs) Remember, these people thought he was coming to kill them. It wasn't a social club. It wasn't where he got his connection fill at. He went to preach. He went to testify of what Christ had done in his life on the road to Damascus. He went to share the amazing life transformation. And in that, he went to encourage, he went to exhort those believers in Damascus, the ones he was going, coming to imprison and kill. That's why he went to the synagogue, the Bible says, to, he, he preached Christ many days with them. He was, tell, he was trying to do what he, the church is supposed to do. He was religious, now he had a relationship and it changed him, and that was noticeable to others. Look at verse 21. Then all who heard were amazed. And they said this, wait, wait, is this not he who destroyed? I love, I love that past, that's a past tense word, because that's exactly what happens when Jesus changes our life. Hey, and that guy who used to, oh, that's right, he used to. He, that's, the, that's his old life. Destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem, and now he's come here for that same purpose to destroy so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. They were amazed that his life was transformed. He was in their synagogue preaching Jesus Christ, the one he was, he was, he was persecuting. But look what happens. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Again, this life change was noticeable. Saul was no longer for Saul. Saul was no longer for religion. Saul was no longer for the world. He would say that the world was crucified to him and him to the world. Saul wasn't driven by a past desire. He wasn't driven by the flesh or what he knew, what he was comfortable with. Saul wasn't driven by any of those things anymore. He didn't go to church because he was trying to be a good person. He didn't go and gather with those disciples there because he was trying to be a better person in hopes of becoming good enough or acceptable enough in God's sight. Paul knew that he wasn't. 
That didn't work for Saul then, and it doesn't work for anybody today. If you're here this morning and, and you're trying, you're coming to church because you're trying to be a good person, you're trying to do the right thing, I, I'm not saying that is a horrible thing. I want to say your motivation and your aim, your goal is off. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. I can't become good enough. You can't become good enough. You can't become a, well, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. Then love Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the love of God will motivate you, as Jesus said, to please him. You don't have to worry about, well, I don't know if I did this right or if I don't know. No, no, no. Be, operate and be motivated and be driven by the love of Christ. It will take you to places and, and cause you to be faithful and to do things that you, you would not do in your flesh if you chose to. But what we see in this with Saul and what's clear still today, point number two is our last point. Salvation produces a, lot, a clear life change. His life was clearly changed. That's what happens still today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The Bible says that they were all amazed, all of them. You know what was used too in this? The contrast of Saul's former life with the obvious changed life before them. That's what encouraged them. And that's what God still uses today. Hey, you know you, know, you got some lost friends. You, you know you got some um, lost neighbors. You, you know what God still uses today? An evident and obvious changed life that's motivated by the love of God. He still uses that today. And you know what I, you know what I feel like is, is missing in, in, in a lot of the American church today? A sincere love for God. You know why I, I think that? It's because so many people try to fit in, whether it's church or anything for Christ, fit it in to our life instead of it being our life. Paul's life was changed. And it wasn't like he went to church, okay, well, I got a lot of stuff to do now that my life's different. I no longer have a job, of course, you know. <laughs> I can't do what I used to be doing. Uh, and so now what am I going to do? I got to figure all these things out. No, his life was transformed, and he saw himself now as a servant of Jesus Christ. He was being motivated by the love of Christ, and that was his life. Too many times I believe that even in, in, in American Christianity, we, we, we have, and we, we can deny it, we can say that we don't live like that, we can say that's not it, but we, we, we put Christianity as a, as a part of our life. And we go to our jobs, and we do our stuff, and we live our lives, and, and, and it's just part of who we are instead of being who we are. I am a born-again, by God's grace, child of the living God. My citizenship eternally is in heaven. We are to live as ambassadors of Christ, whether we're at our job, whether we're sitting at our home, whether we're going out on recreation, on our hobby, whatever. That's who we are. God was using it for Saul. He still uses it today. 
Why would anyone ever want to see what, what you or I have if it's not truly who we are and how we're living? Christians should be the most joyous people on the face of the earth. Is that what people see in you? Joy? People, Christians should be the most loving people. Love does not equate condoning sin. But we should be the most loving. When people encounter you in your church, at your job, through the drive-thru, on the road. Like, I don't, I don't battle with road rage. I'm telling you that, I don't. But my family, and I'll confess right here, I talk to people. I don't, I don't, I don't talk ugly to them, but I ask them questions. <laughs> and I make clear statements like, what are you doing? And statements like, that's a good blinker there. None of us are perfect. God's working on all of us. <laughs> but the, the world, other Christians, like they saw with Saul, they should see this is different, and we're encouraged by this. We're, we're motivated by this. They were. They were encouraged by the life change. They were motivated by the love that he was now driven by. Someone's life was completely changed. Look, when somebody gets saved and we experience that in this church, what does that do to you? I know what it does for me. I'm like, praise God, that's awesome. Seeing somebody's life change, whether it's a child or an adult, whatever, that's an amazing encouragement. But it should also be a reminder that our lives should look different. They should continue to become, as the Bible says, conformed to the image of Christ. That's what his foreordained plan was for his people, that we would be fashioned and formed into his image Someone wants to know how to know that God is real. They should be able to see in a person whose life God has changed. That's how they know his gospel. Not only was Saul's former life used as a great testimony of the power of Christ to change lives, but what Paul had experienced in life before Christ, both the good and bad, was used to help accomplish God's will. This man was armed with an amazing amount of knowledge, amazing amount of faith and zeal and grace, and he was letting it all out for the cause of Christ now. His knowledge of the law, the Old Testament, an expert. And now he's reconciled with his understanding of who Christ is. And I want to say this, so many times we don't connect the dots on how God might use what we know or what we've been through until after the fact. And so what he's saying, you're going through something now as a Christian, and you ask the question, I don't understand why this is happening. Do you think that Saul knew this was going to happen when he started on that road to Damascus? No way. Do you think that Paul had any thought that he would be standing in a church, in a synagogue with, with believers, encouraging them to follow Christ because of his life change? No way. When he got up from the earth being blind and, and, and didn't know what his life looked at looked like from, from that point forward, he just was, he was changed, he was a changed person because of Christ. He was blind, though, going to a city, to a person's house he didn't know, and he didn't know how God was going to use it, but God used it. That's exactly what he still does today. 
See, the passion that Saul had for killing Christians before served as a launching pad for his passion to point to the Christ that could rescue them. That's an amazing thing. The passion he had for killing Christians was redeemed and served as a launching pad for him to live for the glory of, of God alone. And that passion and that old life, as sinful as it was, as despicable as it was, killing Christians, murdering, separating families, taking women even to prison, it helped keep Saul humble all the days of his life. And I want to say this, I think sometimes the, the enemy is the author of guilt. If, if something is, is, is wearing you down from what you did in your past, and it's keeping you in, in, in chains, that's not of God. But we definitely learn through our experiences. And it's a way, I believe, that God allows us to stay humble. Not to keep us imprisoned in the guilt. But I think that we can be remind, reminded of what God has done in our lives. First Timothy chapter 1. I thank God who's given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. Appointing me to this service. This is Paul now talking to Timothy, his son in the ministry. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, he said. I was a persecutor and an insolent opponent. Now look at this. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of all or full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a faithful and, and, and worthy of acceptance statement. But he says this, of whom I am the foremost. I am the greatest sinner there ever has been and there ever will be, Paul says. But that's what Jesus Christ came to do, to even save the worst. Paul said, I am the worst. Verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason. Here it is. Here's why he gave me mercy. That in me, as the foremost, above anything else and everything else, that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe on him for eternal life. So he goes to that church and he, he, he lives the rest of his life. Is you know why God gave me mercy? You know why he saved me, the worst sinner there ever has been and ever will be? You know why he saved me like that? You know why he saved you like that? so that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. To be an example. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be glory and honor, honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, for I'm the least of the apostles, Paul said. I'm the least of them. Unworthy, he said, to be called an apostle. And here's his reasoning, his past. Because of how I lived before I was in Christ. I persecuted the church of God. And that's what God does, though. He takes sinners and he makes them saints. He takes the unworthy and he crowns them with honor in his righteousness. He takes the unusable and the unknowable and he turns the world upside down with them like he did with the disciples. Let me ask you this morning, I'm closing. Are you truly walking in a relationship with Christ? It, your, your life right now, where you're sitting, where you're at, are you truly being motivated by the relationship you have with Jesus Christ? 
not being motivated because that's what Christians are supposed to do. You're not here this morning because of that. You say, well, I'm here because of that. And this is the challenge to you this morning. Are you wearing yourself out trying to do that? Are you wearying yourself out because you're trying to be religious? Jesus said, come on to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. He said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can Jesus say that when you surrender your life to him and it becomes difficult because you're motivated by love? Love makes, love, love does so many things. Jesus would even explain it. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what love does. Love gives, love sacrifices. Has your life been clearly changed since you have accepted Christ? And do you have a clear change in direction? Has your life truly changed since you've been saved? And has the sin debt that Christ paid for you by death become your launching pad for your passion to live for him? I want to challenge you Christians this morning. We live in a free land right now. I don't know how much longer it's going to look like it looks, but man, we should be motivated by our love to bear Jesus Christ, like Saul said to everyone who would believe on him. That's what we should be motivated by. Man, I, I, I don't, I don't uh, and, and I'm not perfect. I, I, I could, people's blinkers and their lack of knowledge of driving, in my opinion, <laughs> is not my only flaw. It's not my only downfall. But man, there's no way that you or I or any of us in this place can continue, can be faithful, can do anything for the Lord that's of significance and that lasts without being motivated by love, of a sincere relationship with Him. So what's your motivation this morning? Father, thank you for this, this time. Thank you again for the challenge you've given to me. Thank you for the challenge you've given to our church. Lord, again, we're thankful for the freedom that you've given us. Thank you so much for being so good to us. Lord, I pray that we would, again, redeem the opportunity you've given us. Lord, the time feels like it's just slipping away like water running off. It feels like it's, it's the, the time of your return, the end of this age. It feels like it's drawing closer and closer and closer, faster and faster. And I pray that we wouldn't just go on in ignorant, ignorant bliss and, and we wouldn't go on in, in selfish uh, temporal trappings, Lord, but we would honestly walk in a daily relationship with you and we know you tell us in your word if we if we do that then we'll follow we'll keep your word we'll keep your commands we'll be who we're supposed to be and lord help us to do that lord help us to respond right now in this invitation in jesus name amen if you'll stand as he plays and sings i want to encourage you to come this morning